Hi, this is Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at WisdomTree. This is Li Qian Ren, Director of Modern Alpha Wisdom Tree ETFs. Welcome to China of Tomorrow podcast, where we discuss the businesses, economic and financial markets in China and Asia. Today we have a very exciting guest, Mr. Yifeng Yisen Ma, a partner and the chief representative in Oryx Shanghai office. Oryx is a law firm, a global law firm, which he has over 18 years of experience assisting clients in intellectual property related matters, including IP litigation before the U.S. International Trade Commission and the U.S. federal courts. He is based in Shanghai. He went to Peking University and a uh, similar time as me, and he got his dog law degree from Vanderbilt. And he's been participating in many intellectual property uh, related cases, both in the U.S. and, and in China. Uh, I know this is a topic we, you know, obviously very um, central to U.S.-China relationship. So without further ado, Yifeng, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your law firm. Sure, and thank you for the opportunity. And uh, Jeremy and Li Qian, thank you for having me here today. Um, it's the first time I do podcast, so <laughs> it's a unique and uh, exciting opportunity for me. You know, I'm from the same hometown as Li Qian. Our home country's name is Dongyang, and uh, so I grew up in a not a very big village in Dongyang. And then we went to the same high school, I believe, uh, Dongyang High School. From there, I went to Peking University uh, one year before Li Qin, or two years before Li Qin. As Li Qin said, after I finished the college, I went to the US. But in college, I studied both chemistry and law. So I did a dual degree program because China started to have IP education around 1993, early 1990s. That's a direct result of the dialogue between the US and China at that time to improve IP protection in China. That's pretty much like 30 years ago. There was a intensive dialogue between China and the US. And uh, Peking University established the first IP School of Intellectual Property, which is kind of a division of the law school as a result of uh, the dialogue between the two countries in those years. And I was one of the students in the second class of that law school for IP uh, major. I also studied chemistry. That's my first degree undergraduate. That's why I spent more years in college than Li Qin. <laughs> and then... <clears throat> Being, the, being so early, be, even being so early in in the IP development in China, what made you interested to be in that second class? How did you develop your interest? I always say I was uh, one of the first uh, classes of students who are school trained to be in the IP area. Uh, before 1993, there was there were uh, practitioners who who were in other areas of uh, industry or practice, and they became IP lawyers. But I I was one of the first uh, who were trained in school uh, by higher education. Uh, So Jeremy, you asked a very good question, uh, how I made the switch. Well, uh, you know, I always say I went to the best university in China, as Li Qin did, uh, and I was in the chemistry department, 
we had a lot of very talented chemists or, or chemistry students. Uh, but our class, uh, we have like 160 students. And uh, um, I thought, you know, if there would be famous chemists out of the 160 students, I probably was not one of them. You know, we had uh, a number of uh, classmates who, who had the international Olympics in chemistry, like the gold medal, uh, gold medalist, a number of them. Um, so I, I was, you know, a good student, but I thought probably I would not become a top chemist. And then if I cannot become a top chemist, maybe I should become something else to be, to be on the top. And I can use both chemistry and uh, some other area of education. And then the intellectual property became the kind of perfect opportunity for me. I was always uh, interested in, you know, doing law or business, even when I was in high school. Uh, but we didn't have the luxury at that time uh, to be a, either a business student business school student or law school student. Yeah, uh, for, I think for our listeners who may not be familiar with China's uh, education system, um, you got um, divided into science track and liberal track at the last year of your high school. And if you go into science track, then it's harder to get into a little bit more liberal arts uh, related areas like finance or um, law. Uh, fortunately, this is changing um, in China now. It's easier, but 30 years ago, indeed, it was very um, pioneering for colleges to offer students to go for dual degree. Um, so, um, Ethan, uh, you, we, you know, because at the same time we grew up with in, in Zhejiang Province, which is one of the centers of business. Um, uh, and and uh, or business business private businesses uh, Alibaba is headquartered there. Um, there are actually several other famous companies which um, here not as well known uh, in the U.S. But I remember once in a private meeting we attended together. Uh, you mentioned that um, our childhood hometown was actually not being in many IP related cases, but the neighboring town, uh, Yongkang, which is um, much more in the export uh, industry, has been in many IT dispute cases, uh, showing their global business uh, proneness. What what are the majority of your clients? Well, so my, my majority of clients are, are, are Chinese companies who are doing business overseas. And, and you are right that uh, actually a city or, or place uh, that has more IP cases typically are more uh, uh, developed regions uh, in China. Uh, for example, uh, Shenzhen right now has the most IP cases out of all the places in China. I, I mean IP cases, Shenzhen companies are involved in more IP cases in the US than any other, than companies from any other places in China. And uh, for our hometown province, Zhejiang province, you will see more companies from Ningbo, from Wenzhou, uh, who have uh, IP cases 
in the US most frequently. Then we go to smaller place, you know, our district, that's Jinghua, and uh, Dongyang is a county under Jinghua, Yongkai is another county under Jinghua. So, so in Jinghua, uh, yeah, Yongkang, that county has been involved in several uh, IP litigations in the US, including um, several ITC investigations before the United States International Trade Commission. The, sometimes in China, people call them 337 investigations. Can you give us uh, some examples of those cases, like what's in dispute? Sure. Actually, the first, uh, the first 337 case out of Yongkang, our client's name is called Xinyue. Xinyue means uh, star and moon, right? Xin means star, Yue means moon. So Xinyue group, uh, they, they were sued uh, by Daimler Chrysler. At that time, Daimler, you know, Benz and Chrysler, they, they are one company. Uh, so they sued, you know, it's like one of the largest automobile companies in the world. And they sued Xinyue, a relatively kind of small company out of Yongkang uh, for a off-road vehicle Xinyue manufactured and uh, exported to the US. So it's not for on-road, like for, on, for highway use, it's a recreational vehicle, like for beach, uh or uh you know uh, some other mainly for like beach uh, so it's uh it's off-road recreational vehicle uh and xinyue was sued for design pattern infringement accused to infringe one jeep you know jeep jeep design uh chrysler has a uh, jeep design uh, for a vehicle called a hurricane and uh, it has a very unique look uh, and they applied for design patent and uh, they accused Xinyue's one vehicle infringed that patent. So that's how Xinyue was sued. And uh, uh, I represented Xinyue in that ITC investigation. Uh, we actually did quite well. Uh, we, uh, you know, we found some defects in uh, Chrysler's claim against Xinyue. One main defect actually is the domestic industry because for Chrysler to sue before ITC, Chrysler needs to establish that it, Chrysler has a domestic industry of manufacturing a car uh, covered by the, the design pattern. Of course, Chrysler has a huge domestic industry in the US. But for a patent case, Chrysler needs to establish that it sells a car actually covered by that patent. So Chrysler has a patent, but it doesn't commercialize it. It manufactures one model for automobile shows, but it, it, didn't, it didn't really commercialize it. So we, we actually, we, we, we argue that, okay, your Chrysler, you, you, you doesn't have a 
domestic industry, so you cannot sue in ITC. Thank you. Um, maybe tell us a little listeners about uh, a little bit of ITC because um, not a lot of uh, people know about a lot of these legal uh, jurisdiction cases. Yes. So uh, the ITC, or the full name is the United States International Trade Commission, even though it has international in it, it's a federal agency. It's part of the federal government. And uh, ITC, uh, it's, uh, we, we often refer to it as a, a semi-judicial, semi-judiciary body. It's not a court, but it adjudicated it adjudicates cases. And uh, ITC, of course, has different functions, but one function of ITC is to conduct so-called unfair trade-related investigations. And uh, under unfair trade, a good number of them, actually the majority of the unfair trade cases are IP infringement cases. It relates to patent infringement, copyright infringement, trademark infringement, trade secret misappropriation, things like that. Uh, so ITC, of course, it's a trade organ, I mean, it's a trade commission. So it, it has authorities to stop imports from outside of US. Uh, and uh, if it finds that imported goods are infringing U.S. patents or trademarks or copyrights, ITC can make a ruling against the imported goods and uh, issue cease and desist order and exclusion order to exclude the goods from the U.S. That's how it's called exclusion orders. And for a complainant, it's not called plaintiff, it's called complainant before ITC. The complainant could be a U.S. company, could be a foreign company, but the complainant needs to have a domestic industry in the U.S. Just like Toyota can sue before ITC because Toyota has plants in, uh, in the U.S., even though Toyota is a Japanese automobile company. A Chinese company can also sue in ITC, as long as the Chinese company can establish that it, it has domestic industry in, in the U.S. On the other hand, a U.S. company, if the U.S. company cannot establish it has a domestic industry of that patent in the U.S., it still cannot sue before ITC. I see. Um, very interesting. Now, I, I don't know law enough. Do you have any cases where you, you, know, you, you, you lost uh, that in front of the ITC? Personally, I did not. I actually, I didn't lose any case before ITC, even though I've done a number of them. The, the, the worst is we settled, right? Uh, I mean, there, there are cases we settled. We negotiated with the, plan, com, the complainant. Actually, the Daimler Chrysler case we settled because uh, we demonstrated enough that they cannot win. So they settled with us. Uh, and for us, it's also for our client's benefit to settle. After all, most patent cases settled in the U.S., less than 5% of patent cases went to trial. Uh, but if 
talking about you know if whether we lost the case we I actually I didn't lose any case for my client but there are cases we represented uh, plaintiffs against Chinese companies and our opponent lost I was you know involved in those cases as well so the, if there's a perception in you know what I'd say the US and media has been that you know Chi- there's these tensions on is there strong intellectual property protection in China for like U.S. companies, ha- you know, and being one of the first intellectual property lawyers in China, maybe address what you see as the narrative in the U.S. as how robust the property rights system is in China. Where where does that narrative stem from, and 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 how do you think what is the counter narrative that there is, actually is strong property protection in China? Of course, there are still uh, a lot of uh, pirating or pirated products or infringing products, uh, IP infringing products going on in China. Uh, no matter it's uh, patents or trademarks or copyrights, there are there are uh, infringements going on in China. Uh, not only against uh, foreign companies, also. Uh, even more so against other Chinese companies. However, uh, what I can say is uh, China has improved dramatically in terms of IP protection in the past 20 years. And I started to practice law as a lawyer about about, uh, 20 years ago. And uh, uh, from then, to now, of course, I, I I do U.S. law, so I do U.S. practice, but I also observe uh, the IP protection in China very closely. And uh, I started to talk about IP protection in China uh, probably 17, 18 years ago in the U.S. I went around in U.S. to talk about IP protection in China. And uh, every year, you know, there's change, there's change and there's improvement. From then to now, I, I, I will say uh, the landscape here uh, has changed really very fast and quick and, and, and you know, strong, very strongly to, uh, from a country that almost had no IP protection to current status that uh, China has become probably one of the uh, busiest IP forum in the world in terms of uh, lawsuits, patent lawsuits, IP uh, trademark lawsuits, other lawsuits uh, going on. And uh, uh, the, the, the country really put a lot of resources into improving the not only the the law on paper, uh, but also the enforcement of law. Thank you, uh, Ethan. Actually, I want to share a little bit personal observation uh, as well. I I, I think uh, we are all aware uh, China is you know compared to U.S. Of course, you know it's not uh, you know up to the U.S. situation in intellectual property uh, protections. Um, I'll talk a little bit. Uh, my personal experience is that you know 22 years ago, um, before that I was living in China. I loved listening to um, 
Frank Sinatra, Whitney Houston songs. And when I was in China in those years, all these songs, I would say it's probably pirated, right? We buy these uh, pirated uh, tapes on the street. Um, and then actually those were the first two CDs when I first came to the US that I bought uh, as soon as I landed here. Uh, but now uh, with China's, uh, uh, there are business which, uh, for example, streaming music, uh, now there money to be made for uh, having uh, you know, intellectual property protected, uh, you know, protected music or, or movies. So I think there is, you know, as an economist, you know, I love the area of law and economics. Usually when, when there's more money at stake, when there are more contents creators who are making money, who are dependent on intellectual property, then they will push for a more intellectual property uh, protection. Um, as, as a lawyer who, who are trained in the U.S., do you need a special license to practice law in China? Yeah, so actually, uh, China has not really opened the legal market. That's probably one criticism. Uh, sometimes we uh, talk about, uh, because uh, I'm a U.S. lawyer, and we are a U.S. law firm, so even though we are in China, we hire China-trained lawyers who had passed uh, Chinese bar, uh, but they are not allowed to practice law once they join a U.S. law firm's China office. Uh, and um, that's one, one area that China has not, uh, I guess, has not lived up to the promise they made when they entered the WTO. This is, um, I, I just want to add uh, a little bit because for this podcast series, um, I want to bring uh, more discussions on the China state-owned, ex-state-owned difference. And this is one area. Um, we've last, in last episode, we talk about uh, education. You know, education is highly regulated and in some way, and financial is in the spotlight because it's in finance. You know, and financial will not be in such a spotlight, will not have faced such a um, high regulatory hurdle in China if it if it not were in those uh, state-owned areas that are still not yet um, fully opened, like you know, online shopping. There's uh, so law. I think a legal case, legal uh, is another area where state-owned and ex-state-owned the you know, the, 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 the edge, you know, the edge is moving slowly toward more, um, you know, private lawyers, but still the government has a lot of controls. Um, can you just from your uh, observation and, and your uh, study, even though you didn't practice China's law, is the business law different from some areas uh, in China versus US? If you are talking about the, the the laws between China and the U.S., there are certainly a lot of differences um, in the area of business laws, right? Because uh, first, the, the the Chinese legal system pretty much is the, uh, the, the statutory law system. It follows uh, the continent of Europe. So we call, we refer to it as the continental legal system. The, 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 the continent actually it doesn't mean Asia, it means Europe. Uh, and uh, we, 
all the laws in China, they are statutory laws, while the US, you know, it's a common law legal system. Uh, and in terms of substance, then uh, maybe the difference is smaller. Uh, the, the two legal systems are very different, but when we talk about the, 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 the merits of laws, uh, in the business area, uh, the difference is not as big as it sounds. For example, in the IP law area, uh, the two countries actually are, you know, in a lot of aspects, they are very similar. The reason is because China has been learning from, from a country like the US, because US has the most advanced IP, IP law system. And the IP, uh, in all the cases, right, the longest history and the best, most advanced uh, IP protection system, that's in the US. And the Chinese uh, legal protectioners and also Chinese judges, they actually learn, they try to learn from the US. A lot of the doctrines, the legal doctrines in the IP law area, they are all learned from the US. A lot of Chinese judges, they were actually sent to the US to study, maybe short term, like several months, maybe longer term, half year or one year. The patent examiners, many of the patent examiners, they were educated in the US. And many practitioners, lawyers, they went to the US to study. And they, that's how they, you can say, copied a lot of legal concepts back to China to use them. So that's why I will say, you know, in substance or, or merits, uh, actually, a lot of things are, are similar. Uh, very, you know, using a formal word, very harmonized, you know. Yes, um, for our listeners, um, I think a, a little bit of background on statutory law and common law here in the U.S., um, you know, the cases are famous because the lawyers can cite the previous cases. China's system is much more like uh, Germany or, you know, um, um, that, right. that you know, yeah. the, the rules are written out and then you litigate on the interpretation of laws. Actually, there is an economic economist who once studied that common law countries on average has slightly higher growth rate uh, than um, statutory law countries, probably in the common law there's something you know common law. I think I think that's one of the uh, interesting law and the economics discussions. Um, I do want to understand a little bit on the IP law. I know that um, a lot of those laws get continuously updated, right? In China, um, yeah. do you feel when they update the case, they are more likely to? Um, I wouldn't say move toward the common law, but adopt more common law kind of. Uh, things or it's still more, you know, still, you know, the new laws are still much more statutory than than like in the US, but it's much more common law related. You know, the, the, you're right, China uh, amended or amends its uh, IP laws uh, from time to time. So like recently they amended the patent law, they amended the unfair competition law, they amended the trademark law. And a lot of the amendments actually are to, uh, you know, uh, to codify some of the legal concepts or doctrines from the U.S. 
or uh, some of them actually maybe require, I mean, requested, not required, requested by the U.S. Uh, trade representative or U.S. government, right? Uh, originally probably requested by U.S. companies and then, you know, uh, the two governments to talk and uh, uh, some of those uh, requests were codified into China's uh, uh, IP, the, the statutes. So in that sense, uh, I would say yes, I mean, a lot of the uh, concepts um, in the U US law, uh, including the, the case law, they they are borrowed, they are borrowed and, and implanted into the Chinese law. But on the other hand, uh, China will still be a statutory law country. Uh, the, the Supreme Court of China, the People's Supreme Court of China, has been encouraging or to a certain extent requiring courts to publish uh, at least some uh, decisions or opinions. But that's still a long way to go. And even if China formally publish a lot of the opinions, they are still, they don't share the same status as the, uh, the case law in the U.S. Thank you. Um, for our listeners, I want to, uh, recently I wrote a blog talking about the growth, the geography of growth in China. And we mentioned a lot of places which might be new, but essentially Shenzhen, which is the city right next to Hong Kong, it's where uh, Tencent and many uh, very innovative companies are, are located in. If you look at, you know, ex-state-owned companies, more than uh, the public listed, you know, ones, more than 30% is listed in that uh, province. So you mentioned there are a lot of cases there. And uh, Zhejiang and Jiangsu, Shanghai is in the Yangtze River Delta area. That's a second, I will say, a very uh, private business uh, centered uh, region. That's why that's another place you see a lot of intellectual uh, law uh, litigation. You mentioned one case for Yunkan. This, do you have any other cases? Because I feel that I think other, you know, the, the cases really reflect the China's, um, you know, the business side of China very well. You ha can you share, uh, a, you know, a couple other cases you 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 have uh, participated in? Uh, you know, I've been involved in, in, in many uh, IP cases. Um, I don't know you want to listen to one that's, you know, uh, we represent U.S. companies or continue listening, we represent Chinese companies. Maybe U.S. company. <laughs> you represent the U.S. company. Yeah, uh, so uh, we, we do have a case recently that we represented uh, Hamilton Beach, which is, uh, we which uh, makes some small kitchen kitchenware. Uh, you know, that, that's a U.S. company. And uh, we, we did a design pattern case for them in, in China against an uh, uh, infringer from, actually from Yong Kong. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, they exported through uh, Nimbo, uh, the port of Nimbo, to Australia, to uh, the U.S., and to some other countries. So uh, because the manufacturer is here, and especially they export to Australia where our 
climb Hamilton Beach actually didn't have, doesn't have a pattern in Australia. We have pattern in the US, we have pattern in China, but we don't have a pattern. Our client doesn't have a pattern in Australia. And, uh, you know, a country's pattern is only good for that country. Uh, that's, that's why we decided to enforce the rights in China, because that's a source. If we stop here, then we can stop everywhere. Uh, so we team up with a local law firm from Nimbo, since we are not allowed to practice Chinese law directly. And we were able to first uh, seize the infringer's products in the port of Nimbo. Then we uh, filed a civil complaint uh, before the Nimbo Intermediate People's Court. And we were able to warn uh, that a case, uh, not only uh, we were able to uh, obtain uh, injunction against the infringer, uh, we also, uh, our client was also awarded a very decent amount of damages against the accused, I mean, against the defendant. Thank from, yeah, this for this from our hometown area. Yeah, from <laughs> our hometown area. So, um, for people who are, you probably will hear more of these cities in China as our podcast will dig much deeper than your typical uh, news media article. So, uh, Ningbo is a, a city probably if you're interested in China, would highly recommend uh, check it out. Um, N I N G B O. It's the um, I will say one third of the people from Shanghai, three generations back, came from Ningbo. Uh, my own father-in-law's family happened to be one of those. Uh, it is one of the Chinese um, commercial hub. Um, uh, it's it it it's because they speak a very distinct language, so they actually have these uh, personal connection. Um, organizations all over the world you know in hong kong in 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 the us as well uh so it's a very interesting case of how you know in chinese uh, how doing how how to do global business yet coming from a, a small city because of the personal connection um in the early years uh using you know when the capital is scarce that's where you know a lot of personal protection a personal connection gets you the capital the initial capital um this is really interesting have you guys uh, represented european like uh, european companies uh, uh if if you if you don't mind share one more example i think these cases really reflect uh the current uh, intellectual property situation uh, between china and, and and the other uh, outside china well uh, for European companies, uh, we, we, we of course represent European companies and uh, for some of their matters in China. But if you talk about uh, IP infringement, actually, uh, we, we have cases against them, but we don't have cases, uh, you know, we represent them. Uh, for personally, I, I, I was not involved in a Got case it. that for patent infringement or IP infringement that will represent a European company. Okay. I do have cases against them. So <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, for the the Chinese companies you are representing right now, what industries or sectors that is, um, you know, bring, having most of these cases? Because usually the more cases, 
means they are actually more vibrant in 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 their economic uh in their businesses the industry that has most ip cases happen have been evolving and changing in the past years along with the growth of economy in china uh in the early days maybe you saw a lot of uh uh, lower-end consumer products uh, involved in litigations. But in recent years, uh, I think the uh, if you talk about the number of cases happen, probably it's the consumer electronics, uh, especially um, smartphone industry. Uh, they, they are probably involved in the most number-wise pattern cases in the U.S. Uh, all the top uh, phone manufacturers from China, uh, from Huawei, ZTE to uh, like Oppo, Vivo, OnePlus, Coolpad, uh, TCL, Hisense, uh, all of them, all of them. They are, uh, and also uh, Lenovo. Uh, they are all involved in uh, a number of uh, patent cases and we represented a number of them, a number of those kind of cases. So the smartphone industry, definitely, uh, it's, it's a very highly litigated industry. Uh, and uh, nowadays, there are some other uh, uh, industries uh, also encounter, also encountering more and more uh, pattern cases, for example, the medical device industry. We are representing a company, a, a medical device company from Nanjing against uh, Boston Scientific right now in Delaware. Uh, and uh, there are other pharma uh, medical devices companies are involved in litigations in, in the US. Uh, pharmaceutical industry uh, mainly they are the generic drug companies uh, are, are sued in the U.S. by the brand name drug companies. Um, and uh, just in the past couple of years, we saw more cases happening in relation to semiconductor industry. Uh, this just happened like very recently in the, in the past two years. Uh, and also uh, some other uh, very hotly litigated industries include like LED or LCD uh, display uh, industry. Uh, and uh, I think soon, maybe in uh, if we talk about the future, I think uh, electric vehicles will will become you know that industry will become an area for a lot of uh, IP lawsuits. Thank you. Yes, I think electro vehicle Tesla is at the front page news in the last couple of days of, uh, oh, because yeah. of- uh, Every day. Of, yeah, so <laughs> definitely this area. Uh, and also I think uh, the area you mentioned, medical healthcare, that's an area which um, we will bring guests to talk uh, a bit in the future. It's an area I, I personally felt has not, um, uh, being, uh, you know, reported uh, in the English media as much. So thank you so much. And uh, for anybody who, you know, want to reach out to you, I, I guess it's to go to uh, Oryx uh, website. 
Yeah, maybe I will. I just want to add one sentence about my firm. Since you asked me to talk a little bit about my firm, I didn't. I spent all the time talking about myself. Sure. So I would just want to add that Auric, you know, we 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 are a global twenty firm. So we are one of the top twenty firms globally, and uh, our focus is, you know, in three、uh, sectors like technology and innovation. That's one sector. For focus and energy and infrastructure, that's another sector. Financial services, which closely related to、uh, your jobs, are also our another、uh, focus of sector.、Uh, so we are, you know, I'm very proud to be、uh, part of Oric.、Uh, and、uh, if anyone has questions about our firm, you can go to our website to check out. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming.